This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the 2018 Launchpad Pilots Competition. Now in their fifth year, the Launchpad competitions have helped 254 writers get signed, 81 projects get set up, 48 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. When you enter your pilot script this year, you'll save $15 off your entry just by using the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout as a special thank you to our listeners. For more information on the tracking board's current competitions and exclusive partners, visit tblaunchpad.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about writing a contest winning script with a very special guest, Jorge Gonzalez from Tracking Board and the Launchpad Writing Competitions. How's it going? Good, guys. What's happening? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. All right, let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you end up in the industry and out in LA? Let's see. I'll try to give sort of a quick version. Uh, when I first moved out here, my goal was to produce. And one of my buddies wanted to write, the other one wanted to act. And so the three of us thought we'd like form this triumvirate and take over Hollywood. <laughs> Proved to be a little bit more challenging than that. So actually what we did is we started out as writers. Uh, the three of us, we wrote a comedy pilot together. This was like around 2006, 2007. And we quickly realized that everybody has a pilot in their pocket. So we decided to shoot it. We took out a loan for 25K. And then we put it on the web as a full 30 minute piece of content. And around like 2007, that was still a bit of a fresh idea. Streaming live full episodes at that time was still sort of like, it was just starting, right? And, you know, we were fortunate. We caught the attention of an assistant at a really well-established management company. And he passed it up the ladder to his boss. And we found ourselves with a manager. We wrote a feature spec, one in particular that was received pretty well. We did the whole water bottle couch tour and met at all the studio-based production companies. Um, all as a trio? As a trio, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, how does that work? And it, it actually worked really great, especially when it comes to comedy, because comedy doing that in a vacuum is really tough. So what we would do is we would come out with these uh, like 15, 20 page beat sheets that were really, really detailed. And essentially, that was the entire script there. So we would go on our own little writer's retreat. We'd go somewhere and hole up for a week at a time. And then we'd all write the scenes. We'd come back together, put it together, see what works. But anyway. So having your own well, mini writer's room. Yeah, exactly. I'm so jealous of you guys who have multiple people to bounce ideas off. Yeah. <laughs> no, it helps. It helps. Uh, I'm just grateful that my my parents at the time had a timeshare that allowed us to go to these like all-inclusive places that like didn't cost anything else because otherwise, you know, when you're first moving out of here, you don't have two nickels to rub together. Yeah. Um, um, what were sort of your inspirations, whether it's in film or TV? I don't follow it as close as I did, but it's always sunny in Philadelphia in terms of like the tone and the sensibility really spoke to what we liked and we had worked together like in high school we had a public access tv show that we would do every week and in college we did our obligatory web series that is like sort of required <laughs> so you know we all had a really good comedic shorthand with each other and we all really knew how to make each other laugh i think early on it was just really just trying to make each other laugh you love making your friends laugh right who doesn't but it's always sunny i think was a really big impact what kind of jobs did you work here before you ended up in your current position? Did you do the kind of agency grind or what was your story? I thought about it, actually. I think day one when I moved out here, someone was like, you should read Mailroom. And mm -hmm. uh, and I read it and it was great. And I was like, these people sound horrible. I was like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to deal with that. No, actually, I, I started out working in banking. So I did that for uh, for about five years while I was working on the pilot and, and writing as part of the trio. 
And then from there, I moved over to a boutique production talent management company, which was really great. Started off as an assistant there and then eventually grew to be a creative executive there. So it was really nice there is having the ability to work closely with managers and understand sort of the things that really matter and stand out when it comes to evaluating material for potential clients, as well as as a production company is what material is really special, what moves the needle, what's the stuff that you can help get set up. So I think a lot of that really sort of having been both a writer previously, as well as working, you know, on the other side of the table really helps sort of create this well-rounded view and not only this comprehension of how the industry works, but, you know, also being able to sympathize with both sides of the aisle, so to speak. So could you tell us a little bit about what the tracking board is about and as well as the awesome competitions you guys do? Yeah. So the tracking board, you know, we're an entertainment news site. One of the things that we track sort of exclusively that the other industry trades don't is the spec script market. So, you know, every year, or at least for the last couple of years, it's been a about like 350 specs hit the market. People say the spec script market is dying. Yeah, it doesn't have the same sort of allure and luster that it did before, but I mean, we've still seen the number of scripts that are still kind of steady. Certainly, you know, you're not getting the big seven-figure sales that you once were even just a few years ago. Uh, just to reframe, this would be the feature world, not the The TV feature world. world, yes. Sorry, the feature script world. But uh, yeah, so you know we have uh, TV reviews and we have film reviews, a lot of great editorial pieces there, shine a lot of light onto the inner workings of the business. There, we have one series that's recurring in particular called the Studio Series, and we, then we do one called the Network Series. And so it's just sort of like a look at each network and each studio, sort of what they've done in the past year, also what they have coming up and sort of where they are as a company at this particular moment in time in Hollywood. They're really cool pieces to follow. And what was the idea behind you guys starting your own competitions? What did you see a need for out there that wasn't being serviced already? I think a lot of it stems from the fact that a lot of us were writers at one point in time, and we know how it's a struggle. It's a struggle to really get your material out there and to find someone who's really an advocate and a champion for you. And a lot of us having previously worked, you know, for production companies or agencies and whatnot, we have a lot of relationships still at those places. And so we were like, well, you know what, why don't we create a platform for writers where they can come, they can submit their material, and, you know, instead of five judges, we can pull together 25, and let's really try to help these writers. The way that I always say it is, you know, there's 10 rungs up the ladder to being like J.J. Abrams or something like that. Let's help you start on rung four or five of the ladder as opposed to starting on the bottom, and of course, once you get a rep, I mean, that's just the beginning. You really have to you really got to grind at that point. That's where the work really kicks in. But if we can help writers get a jump start, then we're really happy and we feel like we've done our service. Well, I mean, speaking of, you've had a pretty high success rate in terms of winners who've gone on to either be repped or have success in other areas of the yeah. industry. Could you talk a little bit about how that selection process works to get to those top scripts? Every script gets at a minimum of two evaluations. And then there's a lot of internal reading. So, you know, for each competition, probably reading a couple hundred scripts myself, which I love, which is great. It's really fun, actually. We start debating in-house, taking into account the professional reader evaluations and start to sort of identify the merits of why this script stands out, what's special about this. And that's sort of how we then like kind of curate like a top 100, top 75 list. And the moment we do that, we already start sharing those lists and log lines with our industry executives that we work with. So from there, we continue to whittle it down. And then once you get to the top 10, 
you know, the judges are all reading and voting, but most of them have already read even before then, because, you know, a lot of people know that the stuff that comes to our competitions is good. And so they, they start to pay attention early because, you know, no one wants to miss out on something. That happens too, is we get some people who after the fact, you know, after even we announce our winners are like, hey, I'd love to read this script. And we're like, oh, hey, sorry, that person actually already <laughs> signed with the manager. Maybe when we hit you up the first time, don't don't hit the snooze button. <laughs> yeah. um, and these judges at those top levels, they're not just like interns of people's assistants. These are agents and managers and oh, producers yeah. and stuff. I mean, we're, we're working. We're, yeah. Yeah. We're talking about like partners at like, you know, one of our last judges was Charles Ferraro at UTA, who's a partner and David Boxerbaum's always a big judge. And he actually just now is over at Verve and he's a partner there as well. So no, I mean, these are people who have been in the business for a while and they've really established themselves and they've refined according to their standards, their taste, and they know exactly where they can be effective. And so when they see something that speaks to that from our competition, they quickly act. So what's the purpose of having multiple readers take a look at the script? What does that do for you? It allows us to really have the opportunity to truly get a sense of the strength of the material, right? So for example, if one reader gets their car towed right before they're about to read your script, like they're going to be maybe in a weird place, right? And I'm just coming up with like, you know, a hypothetical scenario. And so, you know, maybe there's something in the back of their head that is secretly working against you, right? That's mm -hmm. no fault of your own. And so that's why having multiple evaluations really allows us to get that. And, and what we do is if there is a point discrepancy between two reviewers, that's more than a certain amount, we will actually then go and make sure that we get a third professional read so that we can truly try to identify where this material lies. You know, we appreciate the people who are entering our competitions. And so we don't want to take any chances. You know, we want to really make sure that every piece of material is being evaluated for its strengths and for what it really is. Could you talk a little bit about the differences between your different competitions, be it a feature script, the manuscript competition, as well as the TV pilot competition? Yeah. So we've broken it down, just like you said there, to each categories. One of the reasons is mainly bandwidth is, you know, being able to really focus on all features at one point in time, all pilots. But another reason that we do that is we tailor our judging pools accordingly. So for example, for our TV pilot competition, a lot of the judges there, if they're an agent or a manager, like especially on the agency side, is they're looking for TV pilots, right? Yes, a lot of reps will do both, but you know just as well as I do that you have your area of focus. So that's one of the reasons there. And like for the manuscript competition, there's some companies that are a little bit more eager and hungry for IP that can be adapted. And so we find judges that really gravitate towards that. So that really helps in curating our, our judges accordingly. So what kinds of things are the readers looking for when they're evaluating the scripts? Feel free to go into detail in terms of, you know, premise, plot, characters, themes, anything above and beyond that as well. Let's see. So, you know, characters are always very important. The story, the premise, and the differences between there is like, you know, something can have a really, really incredible premise, but maybe the execution of the story is not entirely there. Structure is important, but when we say structure, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to follow a conventional sort of like template, right? Like, you know, think recently on the feature side, like uh, Taylor Sheridan is someone who actually plays with structure a lot. And oftentimes some people say like his third acts are sort of like a little bit of a first act in, in a way too. So, but it's just more so about like telling a complete story. Does it have its set beginning, middle and end? You know, one of the other things, it, it's not as much of a factor or criteria, but taking into account the sort of marketability, the viability of something, just given the current landscape of what's going on. I think that's really important 
you know, it shows a little bit of forethought on our part, especially when we're talking to production companies, to agencies, to management companies who are looking at the material from our competitions. I think they really appreciate that because they know that then they can do something immediately with that. So I think that really helps. And especially in the world of TV pilots, what do you feel makes a top tier script stand out? You know, I was actually just having this conversation with the Launchpad alumni who is in town visiting. We were grabbing coffee and chatting. I think that it's Look, I, I know you guys write pilots yourselves, but for me, I think that you shouldn't hold anything back. I think you should put it all in the pilot because that's going to be your sample. That's what you're going to be looking at. I know sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, but like episode two or three. Well, I get it. And that's great. But like that, those it's like if you get there and you're like, oh, I'd love to have that there. That's like a champagne problem. Like it's about <laughs> first getting somebody engaged on that one pilot. So for me, one thing that I really loved about one of our past winners, and he was actually on here was TA script, Dead Men. As I was going through the story, and especially by the time I got to the end, was like, I saw all of the layers that were there. And it wasn't like, you didn't have to hammer it over my head. It was just, it was on the, the page. And like, so the time when I, when I you know, closed my PDF, because no one reads physical copies of scripting, <laughs> I was just like, oh man, like this can play out this way with these characters. But then, oh my gosh, that's going to be, that's going to conflict with what these guys are doing. So when you start to see those, you know, that, I think that that makes some of the best shows, especially for dramas and things like that, where all of these dynamics start weaving together. And when you can end a pilot and really see that clearly, you're not just seeing a great pilot, but now you're also, you're really seeing a show. I think if you're a rep or a buyer or someone like that, that probably means a lot. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because I think this is a topic we covered in last episode, this idea that a lot of new writers want to wait before revealing this big genre-shattering twist until episode five or six. But if you're not going to get that show made, it doesn't matter that you have that secret twist happening midway through the season. Even uh, this idea that a lot of writers set up the premise at the very end as another twist in their pilot. Yeah, they spend the first, say it's a drama, four acts setting up the world and the characters, and then in the final act, they're like, and then here's where the plot starts. And they're like, tune in next week to find out. Well, there isn't going to be a next week if you don't get your show picked up yeah. or that kind of thing. So <laughs> For some, you may only have one shot to make your best impression. So why not take it? Why not exactly. make it the best it can possibly be? I, I always think about also like Breaking Bad. Even in the first season, and maybe you guys know more, like I don't know if there was some like uncertainty of the longevity of the show, but I remember like all of the stuff that went into that first season, especially that pilot too. For what was it like six episodes the first yeah, season? Yeah, about six episodes, yeah. And I was like, man, like they put so much into those six episodes. Whereas another show would felt like they would probably drag that out over a couple seasons. I was like, holy crap. And, you know, some people are just like, oh, you know, I don't want to give them everything I got. But I think sometimes as, as a writer, that might even actually force you to like be more creative and like go deeper in future episodes if you have the opportunity to do that. So, you know, specifically for pilots, I think it's just about like, you know, don't pull any punches, just leave it all on the page. Give them everything you got and then come up with more later. Yeah. You yeah. should be able to. You're a writer. <laughs> then, you know, if, if you get the chance, you know, you have other writers in the room to help you figure out the, exactly. the more later potential. Yeah. I heard a story about the last season of Breaking Bad is that they wrote this flash forward to the very end of the season where he has like the machine gun in the mm-hmm. car and everything. And then they didn't know exactly how they were like, going to get him to that point or how they were going to resolve it. They just put it in there as like a challenge to themselves and then had to write themselves out of the corner throughout the season. Yeah. And even in the first season, if you remember, they were going to kill Jesse Pinkman. But then yeah. the- uh, yeah. The writer's track happened and they never wrote the episode. <laughs> it would have been a very different show. Or it's like uh, Lost, where uh, Greg Grunberg's character was supposed to be the lead. The and lead. then like they were like, uh, 
don't know. <laughs> and he ends up, you know, getting getting eaten. Yeah. So if a writer's been working away on their pilot script or their feature or whatever it is, what should they be looking out for before they go and hit submit to your competition? What kind of things? I know a lot of times, you know, people are rushing to get something done before the deadline. This sounds really, really simple and kind of obvious, but I feel like doing one more pass of just reading it through, looking for typos, looking for grammar things. It sounds so small, but I use the example. This is something I picked up from a boss years ago. A lot of people don't do this. I try to do this every time because I think it's only fair, but I try to read everything in one sitting. So if it's a a feature script or if it's a pilot script, I carve out the time, right? Because I don't want to stop and put it down or whatever. If you go to a movie theater, People sometimes get up, but really it's like, it's distracting. It's, it's meant to be consumed in one solid take, you know? If I'm reading something that has a lot of typos and grammar and things like that, I feel like it's like, you know, someone standing up in front of me at the movie theater and I'm like, hey, move out of my way. Like it takes me out of the movie and I'm forgetting where I am. So doing a thorough job of just like, you know, do that one final pass, proof your material, check for some typos, have somebody else give it just another like read for grammar. It sounds simple and obvious, but you'd be surprised how many times that's overlooked. And on that charging phase, do you feel there are any common mistakes or faux pas that turn readers off besides those grammatical mistakes? It works sometimes. You know, everybody has different styles in terms of sometimes the writer likes to almost be present, like in the action lines and things like that. And I know for some people, it's a it's more of a stylistic choice and it works in some instances. Like a Shane Black type. Yeah. yeah, or um, there's a script. Of, I don't know if any of you guys read that feature script recently. I think Lionsgate bought it called like the Ballerina. It's like very like the action lines are very very interesting. Like they're fun and it's like it's a little bit of a risk, but it totally paid off in that script. Uh, fun quick read, but being overly descriptive about certain things sometimes in the action lines, like, and this is maybe you know just me here, but I, I think it's easy to get lost in that sometimes. I'm of the mind that sometimes less is more. And it's really dive into the characters and just sometimes like some of the, the pilots that I really enjoy reading are ones where it's just, you know, you have a scene that would seem kind of normal, but I, I love things that make me feel like awkward. I think if you can make me feel awkward, that means like you've done something special on the page. And I mean like awkward in a sense where kind of constructing scenes that there's still a, a unique way to have a scene unfold, even if it's something as simple as like you're handing me water from the kitchen, like you can still tell me that in a bunch of different ways that actually show that there's actually a lot of other emotional things that are at play. And people who can really sort of like capture those small nuances in their pilots are great. I think those really stand out. That's something that is worth doing and not necessarily going over and beyond in action lines to give me details about like the color that the refrigerator is. It's not a novel. It's a, it's a yeah, script. Yeah. So it's a blueprint for something that's going to be shot and not necessarily something that people need to analyze on a word by word basis. Totally. So when you're reading hundreds of scripts and trying to get through all this stuff, is there anything else that really makes you pay attention to one script as opposed to all those others and kind of cuts through all that blur? That's a good question. I mean... I don't know how to explain it. I think just sometimes, I know you guys read a ton of scripts. It's like, you you just know when you read it. I used to hear people on the talent management side of the business say, like when they would see an actor who's auditioning for something, they'd be like, oh, that person has it. And they would just literally, and we're not talking about Pennywise, but they would just say like, (laughs) they have it. And it's like thing that you can't necessarily like define or quantify, but you just know it when it's there. And sometimes it probably may not have the most original idea or concept, but my God, that person just knows how to write and just like person's an, an exceptional writer. And like, that's something that stands out too. So it's a combination of those things, but I don't know. It's just, you pick it up, you read it and you just, you just know, I don't know. 
And on the flip side of that, do you feel there are any overdone premises or tropes that you see over and over again in the scripts that you read? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think every year there's things sort of uh, become part of the zeitgeist and everybody starts trying to tell that same story. Multiple people can tell a similar story, but someone can just really like find that unique entry into that. Sometimes it's about finding the right character to be the, the window into that story. Does it usually come down to writers wanting to do a script based on a trend instead of maybe something that they want to write? Yeah, I think it's, it's sometimes it's people chasing trends. Some scripts that I really enjoyed from the last competition, they're smaller. It's stories that are super relatable. They're like dysfunctional relationship, just living life, right? But still talking about that story and telling it through the eyes of a very interesting protagonist. Like those still stand out. You can turn on any network and you can find a show that's probably like that. But, you know, I think that speaks to the ability of the writer. So we covered this a little bit in the competition winners episode, but I'm curious from your perspective, what happens once a writer does make it through this top stage of the competition or wins for them? Like what happens next? We try to be very active in communicating with the writers. So once the top 75 rolls around, usually we'll send out an email to let them know like, hey, here's sort of the next steps. Here's what you can sort of expect. Well, one of the things that we let everybody know is, of course, we would love for everybody. We would love nothing more than for everybody to get signed, but unfortunately it doesn't happen. We also let everybody know that we're going to start sending out your material to places to get it out in the town little by little. And as people start reading, you know, if people are really interested, don't just sign with the first manager that reaches out to you. You know, like I know for some people it's very exciting and it's a great opportunity, but especially if there's a few managers that are interested in reading your material and that want to meet with you, take the opportunity to really find who's going to gel with you, who's going to be that right fit. It is sort of like dating, you know, you want to find that person that's the right match. There's probably like one instance I can think of in, you know, last couple of years where someone kind of like just was like, hey, great, I signed with this person, like right out the gate. And then, you know, a really, really big agency after the fact was like, hey, we love this. What's going on? They're like, oh, I'm working with this small sort of, and and by the way, and this is at no means saying like a, a boutique management company is not bad. Like there's a, some incredible boutique management companies out there. There's ones that are even, uh, you can't even use the word boutique. They're like kind of like fringy, right? <laughs> yeah. They're like out on the outskirts. Someone in their garage. Yeah, so <laughs> like exactly. Beyond niche. <laughs> right, it's like boiler room status. And then, of course, things didn't really pan out. And then after the fact, they came back and they're like, hey, is that other door still open? And it's like, unfortunately, it's not. So it's exciting. It's an exciting opportunity if you do have people who are interested in wanting to represent you, but don't just jump out. So we, we try to give little tidbits of advice to people once they make the top 75. Well, beyond uh, reps, do you feel there are any special things that people should look out for when they make the let's say top 50 plus of a competition until you've gotten the result you want you still always need to be proactive so even if you have met with four managers or whatever from our competition or you've met with a few production companies who are interested pursue those opportunities but if you have a writer's bio that's up somewhere like whether it's a website or on other places that you have your writing featured update your accolades let people know what's going on let people know that hey my script is now this this and that because for some people that maybe that they've been working with they're like oh wow they finished top 10 or something like wow you know what? i remember reading this other person's script before maybe i should revisit this relationship and maybe something can blossom out of there so i think just really being proactive making your audience aware of how your writing is evolving and where you're going to as a writer. And what else do you think distinguishes those writers who are able to take that success and kind of run with it and turn that into a career and sustain that momentum from people who maybe let the opportunities slip them by? I think it's the writers who perhaps don't always think that they're the smartest person in the room. 
that doesn't mean to like lay down on your back and take every note that you you know will ever get but part of it is the process in the system so i think being open and understanding that you know the people that you're working with or collaborating with your managers or they're the producers that you're doing a job for so just sort of like pick and choose your battles but someone was telling me this recently was uh, like a lot of you guys probably are familiar with this but a lot of playwrights have actually been getting staffed on tv shows over the last several years and one of the things about a playwright is as you're workshopping something if a scene doesn't work, you kill it. Whereas sometimes in like the feature world, sometimes writers may tend to be a little bit more precious and not want to make some adjustments like that. Whereas playwright, you know, you're fixing what's not working. And so I think that's why that lends itself well to people who are in the writer's room. Because, you know, if something's not working, all right, cool, let's find a solution, let's figure it out. And that's almost sort of like second nature to writers in that space. Such a collaborative process in yeah. theater and actors and everyone else giving input, yeah. When you're entering competitions too, like, I think, you know, you can work on a script and enter something, but if you're entering the same script five years in a row and it's not anywhere, you know, maybe try something else. Push another one of your, your scripts forward and let, let's see if that's something that will break through the clutter. But going back to your question, I think that it's the writers who just, they, they keep working, they keep writing. The moment you get a manager, that doesn't mean that you can like put on cruise control. If anything, it means like you got to get a faster car and like, <laughs> and like kick it into higher gear if you really want to make it. And you have to be patient, you know, even with competitions, I was at this Austin and LA last year, they did a great panel and they had um, a few competition winners from a number of different competitions. They're talking and one was talking about, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a nickel fellowship winner. He's like, but it took me five years. You know, the first year I entered, like I didn't hear anything back from him. Second year, I was a semifinalist. Year after that, quarterfinalist. Year after that, I got an email that said like, hey, you know, you were top 30. Sorry you didn't advance, but really enjoyed your script. And he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. Like I'm getting better as a writer. I'm being recognized. So I think that's another thing is like managing your expectations, setting realistic goals for yourself as you're going through the competition space. And just making sure that, you know, if you see that you're starting to place in competitions, especially ones of note, that means keep at it, keep working hard. Well, let's say you do place in that top 10 or above, but what are some of the steps that you can do to sort of maximize that win? That's a good question. You know, one of the things I usually, going back to like being proactive is usually by the time you're in the top 10, there's people who are already reading your scripts. If that still doesn't lead to uh, you getting signed or you getting your script optioned or something like that, I think it's important all writers should do this is find the writers that they feel that they write similar to finding out who that person's reps are right and then trying to identify places like a lot of management companies will still accept queries and so then you know you try to reach out find inroads into those management companies or to that specific manager or something like that so that you know they can pay attention to your work or you know maybe get a chance to, to get read or get a meeting we're still advocating for people even if it was a couple of years ago but it's also about just trying to make a great fit you know, we're not trying to throw a bunch of things to the wall and see what sticks. Like we try to be very targeted in what we're sharing with reps. But I think writers can sort of have an idea of where their ultimate desired end game is. I want to be like this person. So like the what, what are some of the companies, uh, the doors that I can knock on potentially. Do you feel that's about positioning yourself and essentially branding yourself as a specific kind of writer? Or is it just more about knowing the kind of things you want to write? Look, I think it helps a little bit. I know there's like sort of the two schools of thought uh, when it comes to that. It's like create a, a portfolio of work that is all in the same thing. So like I've heard a number of managers even recently as a few weeks ago saying like, I want to know what I can sell you as. And it, it does help if they know, okay, this is a person who writes contained thrillers. Like 
I can sell you as that person. That comes up with your conversation with them. If they know that ultimately, you know, you would like to try your hand at comedy, you know, then that, that's part of your plan working with them is how do we position myself there? Here's where I'm at now. How do we get there? And sometimes you, you guys will create lily pads to frog jump your way over there. <laughs> And what are some of those notable kind of success stories that have come out of the launch pad that you're really proud of, whether that's features or TV shows that have been set up or made or writers who have gone on to do great things? Let's see. Well, um, Kate Tree Fry, who won our first ever feature competition, you know, she was staffed on Stranger Things. So that's awesome, especially too, because that's like a great example of someone from the feature space, and, you know, working in TV. And that's one that comes to mind recently. I know you've had a couple of alumni on our show, like, you yes. know, TA with, was working with Endgame on, on that and... Um, I was just chatting with them over there. I know trying to find cool elements to package that together. You know, Eric Koenig, who wrote a matriarch uh, a couple of years ago, that was a feature script was bought by Paramount. Those are a couple that stand out, you know, and anytime I hear someone get staffed on a new show, like I get really excited because I think it's a lot of people's dream and to actually see them achieve that is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, before we go, do you have any resources, be it books, apps, software, movies, shows, what at podcast? I don't know. Anything for our listeners who want to write this awesome script and enter in your competition? I think people should be reading the trades every single day, knowing what kind of ideas are sort of moving the needle, what people are buying, reading your, of course, your, you know, your tracking board, your deadline Hollywoods, you know, go in places for your industry news. I think people need to be parts of writer's group. I think working sometimes by yourself can be really challenging as you were sort of uh, echoing <laughs> your sentiments before. It's also about feeling safe creatively. I think sometimes it doesn't mean you just sort of Anybody who's willing to read your script, you work with them, but finding people who created this creative safe space that you can sort of really be honest about your work with people, whether that's just friends or again, part of a writer's group, I think that people should do that. I think also, you know, we've, we've worked with them in the past. I really like roadmap writers. I think they offer some interesting sort of seminars and education programs there to sort of better inform writers on things. And sometimes it's not even their content, but they're bringing in people who can actually speak to a specific area that you have. Where do you guys like to go? You know what I find really interesting is this podcast called uh, The Industry Standard with Barry Katz. He's a sort of a comedy manager mm. who found guys like Dave Chappelle and Dane Cook and all those kind of people. And he just brings people on and he interviews them about like their entire life story from like when they were a kid, like all the way through up to where they started to have success. And it's just fascinating to me to hear everyone's different paths because I think a lot of people maybe assume that like you have to be some kind of prodigy who comes straight out of film school and sells something to Paramount and gets it made and then you're off to the races. But I think that, you know, there are people who started writing at 40 or quit their jobs and moved to the industry and now they're directing Star Wars, you know, things like that. So I think that just understanding that everyone has a different path and a different way into it that you shouldn't kind of compare yourself to other people like that, I think is, is interesting. So. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely not industry related, but I just enjoy either listening, reading nonfiction content or even learning new skills, whether it's like programming or, you know, marketing, whatever it is, I feel like keeps you fresh and makes you work a different part of your brain than just like creative writing. And also, if you learn something new and discover a new world, then maybe that can lead to ideas or a different approach to your writing. I think just being a consumer of media in general is a great resource. You never know where you'll be inspired uh, or sometimes it's like a blend of a few different things and you're like all of a sudden you're like oh my god I have this incredible idea or this would be an amazing character I mean one thing I love to do so I used to have like Saturdays used to be like my day I call it Jorge day 
and <laughs> it would start it, it, this is how it would go i'd wake up uh, i'm obsessed with coffee so i'd have coffee i would bring uh my ipad with me because of course no one brings real scripts and you know i'd have some scripts on there that i was going to read for the day I'd walk to the movie theater. I'd watch a movie, a matinee. I love being like one of eight people in a movie theater. <laughs> I'd read I'd read a script or you know, maybe I was reading like a, a book or something. And then after, I, would, I honestly, I was just people watch. And sometimes just observing people. Uh, by the way, I'd be observing people watching with another cup of coffee. So I'm not just like staring <laughs> straight. Like, I'd be at like a coffee shop, right? So I like, you know, at least I had a, a good disguise going. And no, I would just people watch. And like for me, like I always thought that was an interesting way of trying to like figure out characters. Sometimes you just see a person, you're like, that's an interesting person. But other times you're like, you know, sometimes in like the small subtle things that people do, you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool trait. Like I wonder, and then, you know, you can start sort of creating a, a store in your head. And it's like a really sort of like, it's a free way to maybe sometimes get inspiration. If not, maybe you're just staring at people and people think you're a weirdo. I don't know. <laughs> But no, I, I, I agree with, with what you're saying. It's just like, yeah, you can find that sort of inspiration everywhere. So I think being a consumer of media is, uh, is really important. Watch and read all the things. All the things. <laughs> so with everything you know now, having worked in different parts of the industry, what's something that you wish you had known as young writer Jorge coming into town for the first time? What's one piece of advice that you wish you had had? Honestly, it would be to write more because here's one of the, drawbacks to working with two other people is now you have two other schedules that try to like figure out and it, it, it that became hard so we were not coming up with content enough to stay relevant especially if you're fortunate enough to have an opportunity to take a bunch of meetings there's a window of time that you'll be on someone's memory you may like to think that you're the only writer that that producer or that executive is thinking about you're one of four they met that day one of 20 for the week and one of hundreds for the year so it's to find a schedule that works for you but just to stay on it be aggressive be hungry keep coming up with new material never feel like the amount of stuff that you've written is enough because it's probably not you need to keep going so that was that's something that I wish I, I knew earlier on was to just not sort of make any compromises, but to just go, 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 go and keep writing. And what are you watching on TV right now that you're loving? I am loving Broad City. I actually got onto the Broad City bandwagon super late. I binged the first couple seasons this summer. Love it. That's like, that's my style of humor. Like, love it, love it, mm -hmm. love it. Of course, Stranger Things. Uh, I love Narcos, GOT, what, what? <laughs> um, yeah, those are those are some that I'm watching sort of now. Is there anything that you think I'm missing right now that I really need to pay attention to? Should definitely be watching Nathan for you. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I haven't, like, first of all, everybody keeps talking about this last season, but I've seen a few of the like first season and it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's just amazing. It's so brilliant. This yeah. last episode, this two hour finale. Yeah, just people insane. have been talking about this for a while. Yeah. I, nothing I need nothing to... makes me cringe so hard as Nathan for you. It's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah, he, he, might, he might be the Andy Coffin of our like generation. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you were saying nothing makes me uh, cringe more than Nathan for you. I mean, just uh, thinking about high school, I think this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, uh, Big Mouth on yeah, Netflix. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. All right. Well, thanks everyone for taking the time to tune in and listen. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 69. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all those reviews help us attract new listeners and we'll bring you guys more cool stuff. Thanks again to our sponsor, the 2018 Tracking Board Launchpad Pilots Competition. Paperteam listeners can use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout to save $15 off their entry. And you can learn more about all the Launchpad's current competitions and exclusive partners by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Are you on Twitter, Jorge? And I am not on Twitter. 
at <laughs> I'm still not on Twitter. Where, is on is anywhere people media? can find you? No. Just at a coffee shop staring at them. Just, That's... yeah. You can find me at, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love Alfred Coffee. You can find me at an Alfred Coffee. All right. Drinking a Gibraltar. <laughs> Excellent. It's not going to be creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any feedback, thoughts, opinions, coffee shop recommendations, you can send them to <laughs> ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we're going to be doing an episode about nonlinear narrative. So it's basically like listening to this episode in reverse. We'll, we'll just cut it up into five-minute segments and play it out of order, and you guys can figure it out. Ooh. It's going to be the memento of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you then.